Where should I be looking, by the way? Oh, that was I, you do. OK, that's the intro now. Uh, <laughs> you're that you just did that in the middle of the that. Welcome, Alex. Alex, Alex Kocha is is here. He needs to know where he should be looking. It doesn't matter. I'm always looking like off to the side. It's fine. Alex is a Marvel Snap streamer, YouTuber, content creator extraordinaire, someone that I have been acquainted with since the beta back when both of us were streaming to like 15 people. And now he's like someone that has come up to, I would say, even a greater degree than myself, because I think what Alex has other than infectious enthusiasm like a good a good smile a winning personality these are things i don't have uh what he also has is a sort of finger on the pulse of like what people that are not competitive psychos think right like he'll he'll say it's like oh you're, you're like uh yeah no i know what normal people like it's not the good people but i think it's the <laughs> other way around because like the people like us the people like me we're the people who are out of the norm right the people who are like all right you need a optimize your spotlight caches like this and you're kind of an idiot if you don't do it right like that kind of thing is something that i don't think alex would ever say and that is why i think his perspective and his insight is so useful to us as you know like hyper competitive people because we are only going to be able to keep an eye on the health of the game from us from our perspective and we need someone who understands like who can go up to us and be like hey not everyone is going to get that and that is a problem. And so, Alex, it's just a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the snapshot. That is like by far the nicest intro ever. Like you should actually have a conversation with my wife because I don't think she agrees with <laughs> anything you've said. So it's uh, it's it's remarkable. I, I'm actually super excited. I listen to you guys' podcasts all the time. I think it's fantastic. Uh, the sheer value of the content you guys provide is incredible. And uh, I think there's a ton of value in the competitive scene. I, I really truly believe that because I think that when a game has a very prosperous competitive scene, then the game prospers in and of, of its own, right? So I think yeah. you guys are doing amazing work here. Awesome. Well, Alex, we usually have a listener question section on the pod, but I'm going to go ahead and take it this week. And I just want to give people a foundation, sort of a baseline on your background. What sort of was your history in card games, maybe pre-Marvel Snap and in content creation? You know, you having one of the biggest Marvel Snap YouTube channels around right now. It's so funny to think about it looking back, like the way KM talked about like in beta, how, you know, we would stream for like four people, 15 people at times. Like I remember the day before Marvel Snap launched, I could go back. I could prove it if I have to. I think my average viewership was three people. And it blows my mind how far the game has come. But like what happened was, is from a content creator perspective, I traditionally had covered Dota 2 and Dota-based games um, because i just been playing them since I was in high school. I just loved Dota. And it's one of those types of games that when you play it, like you never stop playing it. It's mm -hmm. like League to that degree where it's like, it's just your game, it's the game. And um, what ended up happening was, is I was doing Dota 2 content. I liked it. My content was relatively successful, but I just honestly... I just signed up for the Marvel Snap like beta, like anyone would. I didn't go through any content creator channels. I didn't sign up or do like nothing, nothing. Just like a regular person would have thrown their name into the hat. All because I saw Ben Brode's name on it. Honestly, that, it sounds crazy, but like my card no, that's the same background. thing I did. I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, Ben Brode is involved. They, they're going to get it right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly yeah. it for me. Like I played Hearthstone and um, I, I liked it, but very casual. Like I just, the thing I liked about Hearthstone was just ripping packs. I liked opening packs. I liked <laughs> seeing, I liked hovering over like, oh, it's blue, blue, it's orange. And like me and my buddy, we'd open packs together and we just like go crazy and see which legendary we got. Like the, the, we make horrible decks, but we just wanted to crack packs all the time. Right. Um, 
And so when when Marvel Snap was announced, I was like, oh, like I, I got to just check it out. Like, I think that's going to be cool. No intention of making content for it. Um, but then I got into the beta and I started playing. I got in like this a little later, like the third week or so. I missed the initial wave rush type thing. Um, and then I just loved the game. Like, I don't know how to explain it to people. I just loved the game. And when I was making Dota 2 content, sometimes it felt like I was at work. I felt like it was like exhausting. I felt like I was kind of forcing myself a bit. But when I was playing Marvel Snap, I was actually having fun. And even though I was only streaming to say three people, when I traditionally, even in Dota, I'd be streaming to like say 30 or 40, I just was having fun. So I said, you know what? I'm switching. I'm just, I'm just doing what I want to do. And I'm just going to play Marvel Snap. This game brings out the best in me as a creator. And I just love it. And so that's where I got today. Like, I just, I just love the game. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. I have a question. So knowing that the game was in beta, like I would imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you did expect, you know, some multiplication of your viewership or you were at least hopeful for that. But I mean, I would also imagine that what actually has happened has exceeded your wildest dreams or expectations from that. Am I, am I off base on either of those? No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, again, I'd been making Dota content and content in general for several years in advance of Marvel Snap. And while you're doing that, you kind of learn some things. You learn about like, you know, what works on YouTube, what doesn't, titling, thumbnail, like all these small skills. Like it sounds crazy, but like, I mean, all of us here are content creators. And like when you're doing a, when you're content creating, it's like you're the jack of all trades for a massive business of only one person. And so you have to learn all these small things that come together to make a huge difference. So yeah, I had an inkling that perhaps Marvel snap would be a big game in the future but i honestly i did not expect the the uh, relative success that uh you know i i'd been blessed with honestly that's what it comes down to i consider myself incredibly fortunate and uh honestly i, I feel so lucky i feel like the one of the luckiest guys in the world that i get to play a game i love and share it with the world so i, I am really fortunate and you're you're absolutely right with your assessment it, it's taken me by surprise mm. can i ask you do you have like a day job I do. Yeah. So I'm, you're I'm like me, teacher. right? Where it's just like you have like eight hours of your day is just blocked off and then you come home and stream snap and you have a significant other to whom presumably you have to pay some amount of attention. Uh, how, what is your, I guess, rationale for managing those things? Because I think there are a lot more people. One thing I've learned about the Marvel Snap demographic, it tends to trend a little bit older people who actually do have jobs, responsibilities, lives. What would you say balancing how your method for balancing content creation with those things is? I got to be totally honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I have that down packed. Like I'm so exhausted. I'll be totally, I'm like beyond <laughs> exhausted. Just before, if you actually look closely, my hair's wet because I took a cold shower to wake up before this podcast. And sometimes on the Snapchat, if you actually look between shots, you'll notice that my hair gets wet because we're, because like I need to shower to wake up again. Like sometimes dude. I'll be recording with Cozy. I'm like, dude, I'm falling asleep. I need, I need, I need another cold shower and I'll, I'll run over and like, it's, it's like a running joke. He's like, Hey, he's like, let's not make this a 20 shower uh, episode today. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like a thing where like, I'm so exhausted all the time. So I don't know if I have that balance down. It's, it's tricky. It's really yeah. hard. And I'll, I have four kids and they're seven, seven, four, three, and like, uh, six months, six months today, actually. So like the, the they don't sleep through the night and I work yeah. full time. And so what ends up happening, honestly, my strategy is I stream and then I edit my video for the next day at night. And usually I'm in bed by like three 30 or four and my kids are up by five, five, six o'clock usually. So I, I actually only operate on a couple hours of sleep and I don't drink coffee. I just drink lots of water. 
<laughs> are you serious excuse me <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah like the it's completely unsustainable i do all the editing myself it's actually pretty wild no i but do like, the same thing i do all my own editing but i don't yeah. have four kids like yeah. how do you a couple hours this is you on no wild. sleep that's can, actually remarkable yeah, like, can, i just i just abuse caffeine like i, I that, that's what i do before well, this podcast i took two scoops of gamer subs which they sponsor me. They don't sponsor. I guess they don't sponsor the podcast. But like, yeah, code KMV. I'm I'm, I'm plugging my st- my stuff there if you want ten percent off. But like, I took like that's like uh, about two hundred milligrams of caffeine. So it's like I basically just drank like several cups of coffee, and I come on here, and you're on no sleep, nothing, and you're like this energetic consistently. Like I think I think one of the things about not sleeping a lot is you get to like really, you know who you are. It, like that's you at like the base level and it's actually crazy to me that you're as cheerful and excitable as you are given that like that really speaks to you as a person i think i, I appreciate that thank you it's uh it's i think what it comes down to is i i love this so much that mm, yeah it's like a pure passion thing and um i i know this sounds like very cliche but like i i just love this so much that it doesn't feel like work that like I'm willing to stay up till three in the morning because I, I want to be proud of the next thing I release. And mm. when people respond positively to it, like it actually motivates me. It's like the energy I get, I don't get from sleep. I get from people's positive reinforcement. If that makes any sense whatsoever, that's kind of what drives me. You're yeah. like a walking spirit bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just like this, but I, I need someone to hold off freezer for a bit while I that's just gather some energy. crazy, man. Oh <laughs> if my I can, God. If okay. I can piggyback off that, we've talked to a few creators here on the podcast now that, that go through this YouTube strategy of daily videos. So now knowing your limited schedule and crazy, you know, crazy lack or lack of sleep thereof, what, what motivates you to do the daily YouTube videos and how, like, what's the process of actually getting that across the line? How do you find sort of the, um, the creative to come up with something, um, every single day? That is by far the most exhausting part. Like knowing that I have to come up with something new on a constant basis is by far the most mentally taxing element of it. Uh, What I will say is that I plan my videos well in advance. Like I have a calendar that plans my next three weeks all the time. And so I'm trying to always stay ahead so that I'm not doing as much processing on the spot and I always have a plan. So when I always have a plan, I feel like I'm always able to execute on that plan when I have half hour to record or I have, you know, 45 minutes to edit while my baby's sleeping or something, right? Like if I'm spending that time going like, what am I going to do? Then the baby's going to wake up and I've done nothing. So I try to have a formulated plan if that makes any sense whatsoever. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's one thing I will say is like, so I, I, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. A lot of students will ask me about content creation. They're really interested in it. And they say like, oh, like what's some advice you can give to me? And I say, anything but games. Do anything but <laughs> games, yeah. honestly, because- <laughs> Games have this like this daily video release kind of, uh, I don't like this atmosphere of like, or this requirement, this expectation, one might say that you should be releasing videos almost every single day. Whereas like Mark Rober releases once a month and is one of the top performers. I mean, even Cozy breaks that. Cozy doesn't release a video every day, but he releases an absolute banger video when he does. Yeah, I mean, Cozy's production value is just like, like just everything he does is like, I, I was talking about your production value earlier, right? And I think it's not a coincidence the two of you ended up together because you're the two people who have this most down, right? It's you and Cozy and Molt and Dexter and everyone's like, well, why are they the ones who are like at the top of the YouTube game? And it's like, because they know what they're doing. Mm. <laughs> like it's 
it's all those really guys, remarkable. all those guys as well. We because we've we've talked to a few of you now. Like all of you guys are structured and your schedules are booked. I mean, I think a lot of people look at look at content creation and it's sort of romanticized and glamorized, and and it it is all that, right? Like it is a fulfilling thing to do. But when when we talk to people like yourself, just the the scope of how much detail and structure and actual like. I don't know, targeted work that goes into it is pretty incredible. You can tell the people this is a skill, they've gotten better at it, and they've sort of refined this process, and that's why they're on top. Absolutely. And like, it's one of the biggest pieces of advice I give people is like, just get a little bit better every video. Like if I go back in time and look at some of my original stuff, it's like even more cringe than my most latest stuff is. Right. <laughs> and that's saying something. So it's like, you know, you, you just get a little bit better every time. And even like now, like if you look at my thumbnails, I'm trying to make them better because like, that's something that like Cozy Night Tabo, Cozy's like, Hey Alex, like your thumbnails suck. <laughs> like, honestly, they're not great. You got to make them better. So what we're doing, we're making them better. And so like, I think that constantly pushing yourself to, you know, just get a little better, just build the skills, build the Photoshop skills, right? Build the camera skills, all those small things add up to what is usually a better viewer experience. I, I think it slowly makes a difference. And I still have a super long way to go. Like cozy looks like he has a legit production team behind him. It's a one man show over there. It's, it's incredible. His actual skill and talent. Right. And so, uh, in a lot of ways that serves as inspiration for improving myself. Mm. What I, is, um, who is your target audience for, for your channel? I know KM kind of introed with it, but yeah. can you just talk about like the direction of your channel and the people that you're trying to appeal to? I guess the people I'm trying to appeal to are just people like me, like that just love the game. Like, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I think this game's incredible. I think the gameplay is borderline revolutionary in card mm -hmm. games, the way that it's so accessible, which is rare in card games, right? Like you guys know this, right? Mm -hmm. Card games are notoriously complex and Marvel Snap nails that element of it. Um, people that like to have fun, the uh, new players, players that are just trying to understand and just enjoy the game without getting into the actual nuanced nitty gritty that you guys often do, for instance. And I, I try to speak to them in like, kind of like that, that teacher presentation style. I, I have, you know, PowerPoints and stuff like that, where I often try to really convey the information they need to know without getting into the absolute crazy kind of minutia of, you know, specific, uh, you know, decks and plays and stuff like that. And just get them started, get them moving. But overall, I just want to speak to anybody that wants to listen at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's awesome. It's just crazy. It's crazy to hear. And it's, you know, for me, I know, especially as personally, just like going, going through the journey myself and you know, over the past few years, it's, it's interesting to talk to people like yourself and just realize how, how freaking lazy I am. It's, it's, it's actually incredible. Wait, <laughs> hold on. You don't get that from me. Have I never told you? Oh, what, that, that, that is such bullshit, man. You should look at me and think about how lazy you are. What the hell? I, yeah, it's, 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 it's a freak. It's, it's a freaking uh, miracle that this podcast gets across the finish line with these two lazy assholes, me and, me yes. and KM. <laughs> anyway, guys, I want to go into the news because it was a pretty big week and then you know we'll kind of hop back into some of the bigger topics. So I'm just going to read them off to you here. So Echo came out. Echo was a one-two and says, after your opponent plays an ongoing card here, remove its abilities. KM, I know you had a bit of a... Uh, yeah, you had a change of you had a change of mind like prior to this actually coming out. Now that it's come out, is it as good as you thought it might be? I know you weren't hyping it up by any by any means, but yeah, no, I, I feel like when you say I had a change of mind prior well, to this coming like, out, it you're was better than I thought. I, yeah, no, I went from like, oh, this is a three to like, oh, this is a four, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's like, okay, it was better than I thought by definition because I thought that as released, it was just like, well, this is like the worst card they've ever released. <laughs> like, this is like entirely unplayable. Right now, I think it's like uh, sort of similar to Ghost, where 
it's not like and that, that's sort of the range I saw it in anyway. But I will say I have more respect for Ghost now than I previously did. Like yep. there are decks that I actually want Ghost in or maybe it's like deck that I actually want Ghost in. But like I have played the card Ghost, right? Echo is a little like that where her use case is extremely niche until it isn't right. So like I would draw an analogy with like uh, compare uh, like the question with Echo is, is she Howard or is she ghost? That's that's I think like there's a little bit of a delta there. And I think she's closer to ghost than Howard, where Howard is like, ah, Howard is good specifically in the situation of you are running like both Jubilee and Iron Lad. Ghost is useful, like, all right, you're playing Valkyrie, you need to throw priority. Like, these are niche cards, but I'm more likely to be doing the second one than the first. And so the question is, how often am I going to be wanting what Echo is giving me? Because Mm -hmm. honestly, I think people think of a one, two as like, oh, that's an easy card to splash. It's not. It's actually way harder to put like a random one, two in your deck because that's a card that you draw. You draw a random one, two, and that actually just sucks. It's like one of the a random ones you wouldn't want to put a Misty Knight in your deck. And so the more she is Misty Knight, the more she sucks. And so that is like, I think Echo is actually like pretty interesting, but it's the kind of interesting where you can never recommend anyone get it because it's only going to be in narrow contexts. Good, mm. if ever. Yep. Alex. Um, so my experimentation with uh, Echo is similar to yours, where it feels like it's, listen, we have a 12-card deck. Yep. It's yep. so cuttable every single time. Yep. Even if I'm trying to build around, I'm like, it's just got to go. Like, and it's also a very passive defensive ability, whereas like an Iceman's a very active ability. And so it's like, you, when, you, when you look at those types of cards, you're like, do I really want Echo? And the only reason why it even performed well in my initial playtest with it is because people weren't respecting it or even knew it was, and we're like throwing like Professor X on top of it. And I'm just like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, so like people were just misplaying into Echo. It wasn't that Echo itself was doing well. Um, but yeah, I think that it feels very cut um, I think the, the effect is neat, but in a 12-card deck, it feels like it is just embattled to find a spot. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think people don't get about a card is it's not just is the card good, it's what is the opportunity cost of running this card. And like when you bring up Iceman, that's the exact thing. Like, all right, you're playing this card. How often is it actually going to be better than Iceman? Right. And I think that a lot about a lot of the Howard decks that I see, where it's like, okay, well, Howard was good here. And it's like, all right, but what about if Iceman was that card? <laughs> like, what is the card you are playing instead of, right? And that is, like, the opportunity cost of it is, it's hard, especially to, like, cut a, like, clear, like, just solid card. You're never going to be sad to see an Iceman. You're never going to be like, oh, man, this isn't doing anything. It's, it's never, I'm not always going to win you a game, but it's usually going to accomplish something. And then there are all these cards that accomplish nothing some percentage of the time. Some percentage of the time, that Echo is accomplishing nothing, zero things. And you have to think, sit there and think, is it worth it when I could just be playing a different card? Yeah. Like maybe maybe have some use cases in very myopic metagames, right? Dominated yep. by a specific, very specific deck. Or if you're preparing for um, some sort of tournament where you can reasonably expect you know, a few decks to show up, or you're going yep. to a multi-deck tournament where Echo is covering, you know, some aspect of the metagame in your second deck, something like that. But overall, for the average Marvel Snap player, probably not the card to get right now, um, I would say. Okay, we have so, more exciting... Go ahead. Hold on. 
two things. One, I'm like 90% sure you could just hear my stomach growl through my mic, which is awesome. Second was, uh, I'll tell you where my one pitch for like, okay, I wouldn't hate running Echo here is. You know the Wobolos Thanos list? I would not hate running Echo to beat Mirrors. Okay, so do you have, give us a rough uh, structure of the list just verbally. It's for the people. Psylocke 5-5 five, five drops list where mm-hmm. it's like Prof X, Dino, Blue Marvel, stuff like that. I would not hate being like, all right, so here's how this is going to go. Your Professor X doesn't work here and mine does. I wouldn't hate it. I really like, I like I, I, I and Thanos is the kind of thing where it's like you can kind of run any old crap in Thanos and it's like usually just fine. <laughs> so I like one of the things I like to think about when I'm evaluating a new card is like, when would I want this? And so that is the closest I've gotten to for a scenario where it's like, okay, like a realistic scenario, not like, oh, I would want it if I'm playing Wong and popping off like kind of, but like only if they also have Cosmo and we need to get rid of the Cosmo. I don't know. Like in terms of a realistic scenario, I would think I'd at least be interested in exploring it there. Like talk about a deck that has a ton of ongoings and is actually genuinely hard to break in the mirror. Like it's hard to in deck building win a Thanos mirror. So I'm interested in a card that blanks half their deck some of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a follow up question to that then. So like in Conquest, for instance, things change a little bit, right? You have Echo. Let's say you're playing an on reveal uh, list, a Hella, like Invisible Woman style list. Do you tech something like Echo in knowing that's going to be dead weight in many matchups, knowing, though, that if they have a Cosmo, that this card will get you through that particular match? Like, does the weighting change in something like Conquest, where if you draw into someone who's playing a Cosmo, like you're just completely screwed? No, you run that risk. Like, first of all, first of all, if I was playing Hella, what I would do is concede the game and go to leave the deck. <laughs> Second of all, uh, I think that. If you are doing this, if you are already on this high variance plan, you need to you need to lean in. You need to just be like, look, I'm going to get lucky. All right. That's how I win. I win. I'm going to get lucky. Like you're already committing to that plan because you're playing hella. Stop trying to make your high roll deck less high roll in order to make it more consistent. It's not going to work. You're not going to be consistent. You are a hella deck. Just go get them. Just get them, man. Like, just just do it. You're, yeah. you're just do your thing. Like, that, don't make your deck worse to answer a hypothetical answer that like 95 percent of hella games, I feel like are lost to itself, not to what your opponent is doing. Mm-hmm. Like you're yep. losing all your losses are because your deck bricks. Don't make it brick more. Is you, That's always sort of been my pitch. You would see that theory also sort of spread across other card games um, very consistently, right? Combo decks, you're not going to be playing something if you play Magic the Gathering like Doomsday and start teching in, you know, all this, all this, all this counter, ma- or, you know, all this other counter tech for decks that maybe are good against you. You're just trying to do your thing, right? Like the combo yep. deck does its thing. We don't need to interact because the, when my deck is powerful, it's not me, you know, turning off the opponent's Cosmo, it's me having having the nuts, drawing it, and then basically not being able to beat it because it's the quantitatively yeah. ridiculous. Let's head into these OTAs, though, because this is definitely very interesting. I'm just going to read them. So much them. to talk about, dude. I'm going to read them all off, and then we can kind of circle back. All right, so we had Kitty Pride. Previously was a 1-0, plus 2 on return, is now a 1-2, and plus 1 on return. Hit Monkey was a 2-0, is now a 3-2. Spider Ham was a 1-1, is now a 2-2. Phoenix Force was a 5-6, is now a 4-5. Ghost Spider was a 2-3, is now a 1-2. Living Tribunal was a 6-6, is now a 6-9. And nice. magic 
I know, right? <laughs> it was a 5-3 and is now a 3-2. Um, my biggest takeaway from all of this was obviously a lot of this is targeted or some of this is targeted at bounce, which was seen as the best deck prior to this. Um, in my limited amount of testing since this came out, bounce still a good deck and you know maybe still the... Yeah, I think it's still a great deck, actually. I think it's still a very, very good deck despite these nerfs. Anyway, I'm going to let you guys take it away. You can cherry pick any one of the ones I mentioned. Um, just the floor is yours. Shoot. Um, I mean, for me, the thing that really stands out here is the magic change. Um, yeah. I think that magic has an immense impact on the game. Adding an additional turn is insane. Um, outside of like Thanos based decks, no one's running, uh, you know, Scarlet Witch. And obviously that's not Thanos either. I'm talking about the reality stone. Um, you know, Surfer might run Storm. But you have these these cards now that really have an impact on the game and the way the game is played and magic adding an additional turn. And you're even seeing people like play Silver Surfer decks where like they're tricking people. They're like rhinoing their own limbo and stuff on turn six to try and bait them. I think the magic change is probably the most significant uh, because it, it adds an immensely powerful tool back into Marvel Snap's catalog that was pretty much deleted at the release of the game. So I'll also say the magic change is the most significant in the sense that it's really unavoidable right now. If you queue up Conquest, you're going to be queuing into people playing Magic, right? That said, I don't think I ever want to be actually playing that card. Like, I, I think the only shell that I have put Magic in and I've been like, okay, yeah, that's actually pretty good, is I run it in the Scams Thanos shell, where it's just like an additional gotcha, where I can reality stone it. Right. Like it's just one more thing where either I can reality stone it or I can play like Jeff plus Blue Marvel on turn seven or whatever. But I feel like if I'm playing magic, just raw magicking people right now, uh, it's getting blown up. That limbo is getting blown up. <laughs> that is like that. Like at this point, I would rather be the person with the Scarlet Witch, the location control than the person with the magic right mm. now, especially yeah. if you're going to be like She-Hulk infinite stuff. Oh my god, dude. Like you like you like there are a bunch of people that are playing magic stuff, but I think the best things to do in that situation are just play things that have Scarlet Witch, play the game on your terms and make their own magic not an advantage for them because mm. they don't know if it's going to be there and they can't play as if it will be. So you kind of answer this, but I'll ask you directly. Is it important mm -hmm. when entering Conquest to have something like a, Scar like a Scarlet Witch or like a Reality Stone um, in your deck in order to have a way to combat the amount of magics that you will perceivably encounter? I mean, right now, yeah, I'd consider it pretty important. But like the metagame hasn't really defined itself yet. I mm -hmm. see a lot of like negative surfer. I see a lot of like... Uh, just like a lot of like Phoenix Force stuff, right? And eventually, you know, what will happen with all these combo decks is the one that goes the tallest will be the one that people play because mm -hmm. it'll win the sort of combo deck mirror, right? And then once that happens, we'll be able to actually target that deck and collect our wins that way, right? So like if people are playing a bunch of negative surfer, it's like, all right, so what's good there is like, you know, Cosmo, Enchantress, stuff like that. Just say all the stuff you're doing isn't real, right? Uh, if people are playing a bunch of the Phoenix Force deck, uh, you know, like Shang-Chi is usually pretty good unless they're multiple manning. Early Professor X scams are, are good there. Like there's just a lot of different stuff that you can choose to do in order to target various decks. The issue is, if you're trying to do it all, you end up in probably a Sarah shell, which is like, OK, I want to have Killmonger. 
I want to have Shang-Chi. I want to have Enchantress. I want to have Scarlet Witch. Like, if you want to do everything, you want to have answers to everything, you end up playing something like that, probably. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys specifically about Kitty Pryde, Hitmonkey, Spider-Ham. You know, three cards. Yeah. Spider-Ham, obviously a bit more ubiquitous, but three cards that existed in the Bounce Shell were quite core to the deck. Where do you feel like that deck is sort of on the, I don't know, the pyramid of the metagame right now, post-nerf? I'm a little worried for it. I saw the Lambie series list with Wasp, and my immediate thought, and I haven't changed this, is, all right, look, if this deck has to play Wasp, it just isn't the best deck in the game. Mm. It might be fine, but like if that's the lengths that you have to go to, that's probably not the best deck in the game. And I think the other worry is, with Bounce, is that it was consistently the deck that is going the tallest, and now there are a bunch of other decks that are going super tall. Uh, mm. Nimrod stuff was already good against you, right? There are the decks with the Phoenix Force, which are often overlapping with the Nimrod decks. There are the Mr. Negative decks, which you don't really have answers to, right? And so you, you instead of being this like inevitable deck with real inevitability on a consistent basis, you have a lot less of that. You have to operate in a sort of middle ground, depending on what your matchup is. And that's generally just a lot harder to do. Yeah. So I think it, I think it, I think my worry is basically like, you know, it might be the, the Wasp might be the best way to play bounce right now. But if Wasp is in the deck, I don't think it's the best deck in the game. anymore. I think that it hits the deck from two different angles. One of the main angles being actually that you can no longer play tech cards in the deck because the reason why you mm-hmm. could play tech cards in the deck was because it was so powerful. It put so many points on the board that you could play something like a Shang-Chi and still out point slam all of your opponents. That is no longer possible. And now if you cannot play the tech card and you have to play the pure bounce list, you're not playing the Falcon bounce or anything, but you have to play like kind of a pure point slam list and you're still not out point slamming people. I mean, it just goes where every other deck like it goes to die. And that's it. It just simply isn't enough against the other point slam yep. decks. And the, the number one point slam deck will always come out on top and it takes, you know, it will take 90% of the, the share while, you know, the rest is left to just, just scraps because you, you don't ever want to play the something that point slams for let's just use whatever values for nine when the opponent just consistently does 10 you just lose every game alex what are your thoughts on on bounce sort of pre and post nerf now so obviously pre nerf like it was insane it was the undisputed best deck and uh post nerf i like in my experimentation it still seems very strong uh obviously we lost some of the top end there but i still i still think it's legit and you are right to identify that you're always going to have a point slamming deck that's going to like be the top of the meta that's kind of going to be what it is but one of the things that made bounce so powerful was the ability to first of all dodge initiative all the time mm-hmm. secondly be very flexible on the positioning of cards to basically dodge shang chi um and you also still have like very impactful cards. Like you still have Mysterio, who I think is one of the most broken cards in the game that it did not get touched, can have incredible synergies with Bast. And ultimately, like you still have a you still have a deck that works. It still functionally does exactly what it's always set out to do. It just doesn't go as vertical. And it's kind of funny to think about now you're seeing Shuri suddenly making this comeback in Nimrod Destroyer decks. You're seeing Shuri coming back and just straight up uh, Sauron Shuri. And like now you're starting to see more verticality again. And naturally you're hoping Shang-Chi is going to come back. 
but so many people are so used to playing these greedy decks that are cutting Shang-Chi so they can go more vertical that like the meta is in like kind of in an interesting spot right now. It kind of feels like it's in a bit of shambles, but like I personally like that. I like yeah. that the meta is not figured out in shambles, but overall I think bounce is still going to be good. I still think that a very skilled player is going to pilot bounce to very high success, but yeah, the tops definitely come off a little bit. I think that bounce was... I guess here's a question. I know you like playing discard, Alex. I played a little discard today. I actually liked it a lot. Mm. I I am a little bit interested to figure out, like, hey, does this does this deck actually go taller than bounce now? Like it 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 might. Like you talk about throwing priority, playing a lot of cards on the final turn, dodging Shang Chi. You know what dodges Shang Chi is Dracula. You know what's a bunch of cards on the final turn? A bunch of Nakia swarms. And I think like the fact. I don't I do think if you like made me pick, I would say bounce is probably a little bit better. But the fact that it's like such a close conversation does have me a little bit worried for the bounce deck in the long term here. When I played Kitty and Hitmonkey, it was with Sarah now because I think that we actually actively do need a Shang-Chi and Enchantress and b the discounts that we can get. Because like three is a large number for hit monkey. Like it is a large number. And we also got worse against wave as a bounce deck. Oh, much because worse. Because you can't. I feel like you almost can't beat it. We can't do the. Yeah, we can't, yeah, do, you the can't do the five. thing. You can't do the thing, right? Like that was the yeah, thing. You can't do the like, thing. Wave was a meme and you would just deploy on five and your turn six was it was safe, right? You had a backup Chavez. Usually you had the Iron Man. You had so many things, but now you, you you have to deploy on six. And the reason why I think bounce is is even above water at this point is because I just don't see wave. Like once wave comes <laughs> back, I, I think I think that bounce bounce is done. Um because we talked about this card, I want to ask you specifically about the spider ham nerf because spider ham sure. i think is a, is a bit constricting on the meta and i think it does hurt some of those decks right because your spider ham coming down at one such an efficient card to play and hitting something like the apocalypse hitting something like the hulk i mean it was a very very good card how do you guys feel about it now that it's a 2-2 is it an immediate slot into all these decks i'm not saying it was before but it was played by by most decks I personally think that the fact that now you have to consider whether or not it gets slotted into a deck is an absolute like boon to the game. Anytime you have a card that you just scroll through, you're like, oh, I need a one cost. I'll just add Spider-Man, like Spider-Ham. You just add it right away. It's the exact problem that Lizard had like three months ago where you're like, I need a two drop. It's just Lizard because Lizard's the best. And like you just did that. I think that's problematic. And that's exactly what Spider-Ham was. You just add it everywhere. And then obviously it disproportionately was beneficial and bounce because you can pop it back and forth and stuff like that. And Discard's like, damn, they piggied my Modoc, and then they bounce it. Damn it. Now they piggied my, my apocalypse too. Disaster, right? Um, I think like I literally called this actually, I called this, uh, this nerf to a two drop. The fact that it reveals the card being hit, I think is actually cool. And I would rather it go to a two drop and still reveal the card being hit than be a one drop and not show the card anymore. Cause it still pisses the player off who just got piggied, gives less information, less fun. I think the two, two is the best way to approach that card. I, I like it. I like the change a lot. All right. Here's a counterpoint though. Isn't it just that, but for twos? Like when you look at like, all right, I need a generic two drop. Jeff, spider him. It's like two. just better. I think just better though, right? Like it, I don't think it's that simple. Like I felt like it was like one of the bona fide absolute best one drops. Like it I was. felt like it wasn't even close, right? I, I mean, obviously Kitty Pride. Like let's forget about Kitty Pride. Mm -hmm. But Spider-Ham just destroyed so many archetypes. And 
like disproportionately in conquest. Like yes. if, if I'm playing discard and I'm against someone playing spider ham in conquest, I'm just going to tilt. Like, even <laughs> if I'm trying my absolute best, like it's good. It's going to break me emotionally. I actually beat a disc, a, a spider ham player with discard in conquest today. I, I was over the moon. <laughs> it was awesome. Spider ham was also bounces kryptonite, which is funny because it would hit the iron man. You got a nice five zero. And if it doesn't hit your iron man, it hits your, it hits your beast. And then you're like, okay, I lose the game. It's, it's, it's like, it was such a good, I mean, it is a great card. Um, but as a two, two, I think, I do think it's a decision and I think that's important. Um, and it's, it's healthy for the game. I think at one cost, you know, some decks would admit it. Some decks that were, hyper focused on some sort of synergistic strategy or something like that and i also think it was a bit meta dependent slightly i mean you could put it in your deck it covers like i don't know 80 to 90 percent of the deck decks it hit something pretty nice but you know sometimes people would have the infinite in there or their deck wouldn't be too affected uh by you spider hamming them at the top end but um at a 2-2 is this is this the appropriate power level you think for the card for the future still might be a little bit high yeah just gonna be honest uh, i lean you. towards yes it feels okay like and like okay. Okay, I'm like I, I get where you're coming from, but like it's definitely better than what it was. It felt yes. completely broken before. Yeah. Yeah. I like we just slammed it in our Kitty Shuri deck where it was just like, oh yeah, that's probably just a good use of a slot. Like <laughs> we'll just play that card. That's totally fine. That's yeah, it's always good, right? The issue is I still kind of think it's always good. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of situations where you're just like, oh, yeah, I would love to play this. This is awesome. This is a great 2-2. Two -two. It's 2-2 two -two that has the upside of like winning the game. It's one of the best two drops in the game right now, I would say. But it, the two does make it a little bit harder to fit in or at least makes you think about the curve, right? Mm -hmm. With a one, you're like, yeah, OK, that, that, that goes everywhere. But with the two, I, the only place I saw where I was like, all right, this is actually better than it used to be is in Silver Surfer, because now it doesn't die to your own Killmonger. And you already were in need of twos there. Like people like playing Goose in there. And I, I hate Goose in Surfer decks. And yeah. right now, I think like the second two very reasonably could be Spider-Ham. I mean, Cerebro, I Cerebro 2 got magic and Spider-Ham here. So that, that is absolutely true. Cerebro 2, God help me. I'm going to get killed for this. I actually kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Magic in a C2 deck where you have a higher chance of drawing your, your combo. Yes. I mean, you're effectively is a good card. Like this is a good, I know that C2 is like, C2 is, is like a, it's like a cult. Like there's, there's like the C2 cult of people yes. who like only play that deck and they really love it. And it's been kind of a meme, but magic is a good card in it. I think it could be legit. I mean, I was considering playing C2 for, um, not C2, but some sort of Cerebro deck for um, the content creator UK class, just to have some point slam deck, you know, with people not ha you know teching in the right cards, not having the enchantresses that just goes over the top, but unfortunately bounces one out in that role. Um, Living Tribunal, definitely a meme card before. Is a six nine, you know, Cam's preferred stat line. A better, it, like, is it good enough? Can you actually play this card? Are you not sort of inting by trying to play a Living Tribunal deck on ladder or in conquest right now? My experimentation, the deck, the the decks are still a little wonky. Uh, like what you're trying to do is you're trying to do like a very, very, very specific things. And like if you're trying like the ongoing variation and you don't draw your cards in the right order, then you just basically lose. You don't have enough power. If you're playing the hella variation, you're playing a hella variation and you're going to lose because you didn't draw your <laughs> cards. And so like I still think it's weird. Um, definitely absolutely yoked. The card looks fantastic. But uh, in terms of actual playability, I wonder if it's enough. Like it can still catch people by surprise. I wonder if the next buff is just straight up. They just make it so it always rounds up. 
Like that kind of <laughs> makes the math easier. Like, no, you're laughing, but like people don't do math, man. Like I, listen, no. I play living tribunal. I'm just like, I don't even care about the math. I just throw it out there and I'll like lose yeah. by one. I'm like, that's the round down, isn't it? <laughs> one thing I think about living tribunal is I, I think there's like, you can buff it a bunch and have it still not be good. So I, I, I do kind of like that because like, I talked about this in the video I made about the buffs, which was like, you know, living tribunal is never going to ruin anyone's days as like a meta tyrant, right? It can't because the way to beat living tribunal is like exceedingly clear and obvious, mm. right? Like, oh, look, they put an Iron Man down. You should play an enchantress there. <laughs> like, that's like that's like it's like a very clear way to beat it so i think like it's actually pretty safe to buff cards like that that are only ever going to be like cube stealers or like one weekend heroes because as soon as people like are like oh i have to respect this well it's, it's going to lose a lot right but if you but it, it's good for a card like that to be in a spot where if you don't respect it you just die i lost to one of those decks with the thanos control deck that i think is one of the best decks in the game because you know what's really good against an early Professor X is just being like, yeah, I'm going to put like 15 power in every lane mm. and you're losing that Professor X lane now <laughs> like that. There's good stuff there. I like it's not great, but it's a good spot for the card. In my experimentation, I was trying to wrestle with the idea of like what's actually better, saving it as a surprise card and like going eight cubes on like game three and dropping it. And the person's like, I would never have predicted Living Tribunal or playing it game one and letting them know that that's what's up and letting it just haunt their, their mind while they're trying <laughs> to do the math every single game, therefore. So like, I don't know how like Living Tribunal actually, I like the mind game element of it. Like when I reveal it early, I know the person on the other side's like, like is this, like what, what happens to this board on turn six, right? I think that's kind of valuable, but at the same time, I think the card might not be great, but like it mm. might pop off. You're gonna see like YouTube highlights. You're gonna yes. see the YouTube highlights, right? But like, that's not how you win infinity tickets or infinity conquests. Like you need a little more consistency than that. Mm. Yep. Any thoughts regarding Phoenix Force or Ghost Spider? I love Ghost Spider. I have been a Ghost Spider truther for a long time. And so when I saw this buff come down, I was actually surprised. I thought the card was already good. Like, I don't care what anyone says. I thought the card was good. I like Cam's already getting upset. I was, no, I I'm think agreeing. The card was good. Uh, yeah, he, you're he, agreeing. He, he oh, I thought you were yeah. shaking your finger like, no, <laughs> no, 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 Alex. Oh, you're, you're agreeing. You. Oh, there. Now I feel actually like like uh, justified here. Um, I I always loved Ghost Spider. I was playing Ghost Spider in a in bounce decks where like I would like drop Iron Man. Like Iron Man was obviously kind of popular in bounce, and I would use the Ghost Spider on turn six to just pull the Iron Man into another location to juke and then drop like different. Like it just gave me more options on how I redistributed the power, which I thought was a massive advantage to bounce. And my opponent would just be like, like what just happened to this board state? And I loved it there. And now it's only one cost. You get way more synergy with like even dagger, dagger stock skyrockets. Cause now you can, you can bounce back the, the ghost spider move dagger around. Like I actually really, really like, um, yeah. what uh, ghost spider does. What if you move the like Angela kind of selling or something me on like that? This yeah. Little. What if you move like, the Angela? Not even moving the Angela. You move stuff off the Angela, right? Off the Angela. You could do yeah. you could do like Human Torch, Ghost Spider, Iron Fist as a package in Bounce. Go very tall and like. But one of the things that I really liked about it is when you're playing like a pure move deck, there's a lot of like like turn four turn fours that are really terrible, where you're just like, uh, I can either play this Vulture or like play two two drops that don't do anything, like a Cloak and a Ghost Spider. And now your turn four is like Vulture Ghost Spider, which is so much better. Like 
there are a lot of just like really terrible turn fours in that deck and making them not terrible, I think, is like actually a relevant move. Yeah, it kind of feels like power creep on Iron Fist, though. Like I get I, they kind of do the same thing, but Ghost Spider feels so much easier to play. And you also have the ability to, let's just say, go right. So it makes me kind of think yeah. about Iron Fist and how it feels a little awkward now. But still, no, I, I, I love think, the change. I think Iron Fist, like the, the upside of Iron Fist is if you Iron Fist on five, you actually get somewhere, right? True. Like True. you, 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 or, or you I actually, now that I think about it, there, there probably isn't a lot of upside there. Like, but like, no, I Iron think your Fist point's valid though. Preloads it, right? Iron Fist preloads it, right? And, and that, that is something, right? Doesn't need to be perfect. And frankly, I, I think it's probably good that Ghost Spider is better because she is way cooler, way better art, just cooler character. I'd rather have that one be the best one if, if I had to pick. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, let's head into the card acquisition updates. Uh, Alex, I want to get your high-level thoughts, first of all, on the recent card acquisition um, change. Not the update that we got today, uh, but the change over to the Spotlight Caches. Do you think that this system is better overall? Do you think it's too complex, too nuanced? Is it too predatory? What are your thoughts? Um, I wouldn't use the word predatory, I think, right? Um, I don't think that was their intention. I do think that um, it it was it was a really confusing launch because you had people that were like min maxing casuals that weren't, and then people feeling kind of ripped off. And there was that whole thing, you know, Cam's on the damn list. I feel bad, but it's like, what do we do? What do we do when like you have a massive change like that? And obviously, it's the scope of it's huge. Um, so at the end of the day, everyone's just going to do what's best for them, and that's exactly what happened. For the average player, I do think that the spotlight cash system is an improvement. For the more casual player, it's a certain improvement. Someone who's not Series 3 complete is going to be getting more cards. It's it's that simple, right? The RNG through the 25% low roll does suck, but you have to be approaching these caches in almost lots of four, right? 6,000 tokens are basically four crates, and that's how you have to approach that. I think where it loses people a little bit is one of the major ideas behind it was upgrade cards to get more cards. That was like the, the highlight statement, upgrade cards to get more cards. Cause we want to build collections. We want to see those cool effects, the foils and whatever. But at the end of the day, when you upgrade your cards until you get to the spotlight cache, you feel like nothing. You're completely yeah. numb. You're opening oh, tons of empty space. And then you have a, you have credits, you have boosters, empty space, and then a collector's reserve that gives you like nothing, no credits, a title, it's soul crushing until you get to that spotlight cash and then you low roll to 25% and get like a, you know, like a chibi variant or a whatever. Right. And it's like, it's, I think that that part is, uh, it was problematic. And I think we'll be discussing that shortly as well. How that may be potentially changing soon, but for the average player, I think it is an improvement. I, it has to be an improvement. Um, and I believe that some statistics that second dinner has provided publicly would indicate that it is an improvement in card acquisition, which I think is the most important element of a card game. But there's still work that has to be done. I think I want to just jump off of that real quick and talk about this, because like one of the things that I got as a response, right? When I talked about how like this is so much better. This is like a it, it's worded like a YouTube comment because it was a YouTube comment. So like, you know, bear with me, right? Like, it's definitely not like uh, it's definitely not like the most well worded thing of all time. But it was like, uh, whoa, this new system is so much better. And then under it was like, uh, you need to make sure you optimize everything or you're going to get fucked. And it's like, oh, 
Okay, I kind of see what you're putting. I kind of see what you're getting at there, right? Where it's like, yeah, the, the issue that I see with the system is the delta between the people that know what they're doing and the people that don't know what they're doing. And if you create a system where the gap is so high between people who are able to optimize and people who do not optimize, that is kind of an issue, right? Like you, if you optimize correctly, will probably get like 90, 80 something percent of the game just free to play entirely, right? And if you don't optimize correctly, you could very easily get a uh, completely screwed. And there's nothing in the game that tells you this. They just rely on you as someone with a brain, presumably, to be like, oh, I shouldn't open these four until then. Right. But at the same time, it's very human. And I say this in the very literal sense of the word. It's extremely human to want to gamble. That is why the gambling industry exists. And they put this system in here, I assume, aware that it would have an effect of making people make subpar decisions. When they talk about how it increases uh, the ability for people to spend their resources, some amount of the people who are now spending their resources are doing so because they are seduced by the allure of high rolling, because they are making bad decisions. Some amount of that is, I assume, baked in. And I think that. I talked about it before the system came out, which is like it gives you the opportunity to be stupid. And I think I mostly underestimated how bad that would be, because there are a lot of people, people that I respect, people that like I think are smarter than this, who are like opening three caches, not getting the card and then complaining on Twitter about it. And it's like. I don't know what that is. Right. Like, because if there are people that I thought are like smart, intelligent, would understand how to operate in a system like this, and they're still like doing the YOLO three cash stuff, then I think I drastically overestimated how obvious it would be to the average person how to operate in a system where opening four at once guarantees you the thing. <laughs> I, I just I feel like I overestimated that sincerely. Like, that's not like a dunk or anything. It's just like actually true. I thought more people would understand how you needed to operate in something like this intuitively. Like people are talking about like, oh, I need a guide to this. And like, to me, it's just, I don't like when I first read through it, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I need to save these. Like that was my first feedback to the, to the dev team. When I saw this was like, uh, there better not be a limit on how many I can save because I sort of grasped how I needed to approach the system. And I think that like, this is why I was so focused on my own blind spots when I did your introduction. Because it's like, I just didn't get that that is not something everyone sees when they look at this. YOLO, YOLO 3 cash. That is one of the most wild things I've ever heard. But YOLO 1 cash, I understand, actually. So the fact that you open the caches progressively, um, you know, you could be planning to open four for a week, but, you know, naturally you open one before you open the rest. And maybe you haven't upgraded and you don't have them all ready to go. I did that. I'm fully aware of how the system works. And I'm planning to get Echo um, during the week, right? And I remember opening my first cache, getting a Kang variant, and being like, I never want to engage with this system ever again. Just, I don't know why. Like, there was just something <laughs> about it that I was just like, that feels so ass that I just... I don't want to engage with this. Like this just, uh, it just irritated me for some reason. Even though I know it's like, I'm fully aware that over the rest of this week, I will buy more credits. I will finish my quests and I will get my four caches. Something about the fact that it's progressive and you do, 
you do almost inherently take the 25 percenter no matter what. Even if you plan to do four caches, you will open the first cache and take a 25 percenter. You get that feels bad. I don't know. Something about the system, it just irked me a little bit. But also, I was a, I was a major degenerate of the last system, per se. So I, we've talked about this in the pod before, but I have like 25,000 collector's tokens. I was basically just waiting for any non-broken card to rotate down. And that was the strategy. So yeah, I don't know if at this point I've just, uh, I can't engage with the system in a, in a healthy way, but it was a feeling I had despite being on this podcast and knowing full well uh, how the system works. Uh, Alex, I'll let you take it away. Yeah. One thing I will definitely say is that we are of the minority that really are close to collection complete. Uh, we obviously play this game a hell of a lot. <laughs> like we are very invested in this, in this game. Um, my interpretation of the system from an average player's perspective is that like, I get a lot of positive feedback. I see a lot of people like, because like someone who's not pool three complete, like you get pissed off, you're pulling a keg variant, but that person just got Kang. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's different. And I think the value of the system changes, by the way, that Kang variant is actually absolute fire. You've got to <laughs> actually upgrade it to animated. It's actually really, really nice. You like just that so one? You know, it's you like, so good. It's one of the best variants in the game. It's actually okay. awesome. If you look carefully, like you see all the other heroes in the timeline, it's beautiful. The variant's really good by the way. But, um, but what I'm trying to say is, is that the way we engage with that system is wholly different than the way an average player will engage with that system. And um, I don't think we can lose sight of that because we're the, like, we're the ones that do the podcast. We're the ones that send the tweets and get and the people that are on, like on Reddit and on social media. They're often the most engaged players. And that's a good thing. But they're also the ones that are like us who are nearing collection complete or they're very invested in the game. So you get this like this kind of negative reinforcement. But like relatively new players or players that are like, as I said, still kind of making their way through that collection track. They don't see Iron Lad, Kang variants and stuff like that and be like, I want to dodge those variants. Every single one of those awards is a hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a definite hit for them. And with a potential PC launch coming soon, those new players, which we hope come into the game, are going to be hitting on every single one of those caches. What happens in between with the collector's reserves is a whole other story. That's a whole feels bad situation. But those spotlight caches, are, are not, they're knocking out of the park for those players because every one of those rewards nails it. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And you're right. Like, I feel like I'm so far away from the experience of being not pool three complete at this point because it has been so long. And that system has actually changed quite a bit. So I had a friend, um, he actually went over to me at the UK recently to, to play Marvel Snap, who wasn't fully complete for quite a long time. And, you know, his experience opening cars and card acquisition is just drastically different from that, that like super top end where you're at 90 to 95% completion. And I do think that Marvel Snap is one of the best free to play card games that's ever existed, right? Like the, the initial experience is phenomenal. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, it's just those pesky series five cards that, you know, kind of give the game a bad rap. Um, let's go to, let's go to the update. Let's go to the update. So they wrote out a little post. Most of the, it was kind of like some of this didn't come off the way they intended. It was a little bit of an apology, but the, the takeaway is that, uh, spotlight caches, there's changes. The random series four, series five duplicate fallback rewards being changed from a premium mystery variant to 1000 tokens. Do you all think that this fixes, um, I don't know, it's hard for me to say the current issue, but issues that players may be having with the current system? It's phenomenal. Like, I I'm going to be honest. That's the change I suggested. My Discord did a bunch of math that suggests that you should be able, with the current amount of Series 4 and Series 5 cards in the game, 
you should be able to maintain a roughly 94% collection level if you're getting the fallback reward of this amount of tokens and you are optimizing when you spend your actual tokens, right? So, you know, you're not going for the Series 4 cards in there. Uh, you get those in the token shop with now you have like even more tokens. Uh, that 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 is that is a very high collection level for optimization. But I do think I still worry about how bad it feels in the middle, where it's just like, oh, I'm opening all this dog shit. <laughs> I am. Look at all these. Look at these thirty six caches that suck. Okay, and that that might just be like how the game is supposed to be. But it does. It is a significant downside where it's just like, all right, I guess I'm just gonna sit here and wait. And then for someone like me, I mean, I still haven't opened a spotlight cat. You're waiting for the good card, right? Like you're waiting for the week with the good card that you want to get. I'm, th- I'm thinking I'm thinking about that Thanos variant. I'm going to be completely honest. Okay, you're going for thinking a about variant. That Thanos variant. <laughs> but, but like it's because it's because that's also on Mirage week and that's the card I really wanted to try. So it's like, all right, yeah. we got Mirage. We got the Thanos variant. I might go for it then. We'll see. Right. Like, but like that's I still haven't even opened one of these things. So the like, system I'm, encourages people to make stupid decisions. Yes. Going after a variant. KM. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but some, of those vari- some of those variants are fire. <laughs> like you said, the Kang one is good. The I just one looks so good. Yeah. Like I used it in a thumbnail and I was like, God, I want this. <laughs> like, I also, I also want a new Thanos because my current Thanos variant is the Flaviano one, the ultimate variant, so right? I spent five tokens for that. Yes, I did. It is inked out and has like the white stardust flare on it. It is very hard to get better than that, right? I never want to split it because I want to keep it at purple. All my cards are at purple. I need a Thanos variant I can actually split. I need a Thanos, I need a Thanos variant I can use my boosters on because that that's done. It's done. I'm done with that card. That's how it's going to be forever. So I want one that I can actually, you know, invest in and be like, yo, check this out. Uh, that was that was my logic there. Mm. Alex, your thought on the update? I think the update's fantastic. I do think that this is a major step in the right right direction. And uh, can we also give them credit for coming out with this fast? Like they didn't just sit on their hands and wait weeks for people just to kind of like smolder in fury. Like this was a really fast iteration here. Um, obviously, it's not going to be implemented till a proper patch because it's just it's not OTA capable, mm-hmm. right? This is going to yeah. have to wait till the next patch. But knowing that this is coming, for me, gives me a lot of confidence in this system moving forward. Um, It also shows that they're clearly committed to providing players with the best possible experience. The fact that you're getting collector's tokens back also notably maintains this idea that collector's tokens are going to be relevant for the foreseeable future. Because on the onset of this collector's cash system and the spotlight cash system, sorry, it almost seemed like collector's tokens could be phased out. Didn't they feel like if you're cutting them as bad as you did in the collector's reserve, if people are going to buy cards with them, it, it, their stocks are going to dwindle. Like there's, you're not going to be able to meaningfully buy cards with those collectors tokens. So like, is that currency just gone? But clearly it's not because if you're getting 1000 on that, uh, that roll, if you kind of roll dupe or whatever, I think that's huge. I think, I think it's a great change and, uh, it's beneficial to all players, even players who aren't series complete, players who are near series complete. It helps people maintain near uh, complete collections. Uh, it's a win all around. Like, I can't think of a negative thing to say. Like, we could argue like, oh, could have been more and stuff like that. But like, remember, I think that's actually a good conversation pretty to good. have. <laughs> like, I think that's actually yeah. a good conversation to have because it's like, you know, could have been more. I know. I know Cozy was pitching like 3K. And like the only reason I pitched the 1K when I made my tweet about it was like, is because when we did the math, like 
it's just incompatible with their stated goal. And their stated goals are we don't want whales to be able to have collection complete for free. Like we don't want you to be able to get to collection complete and then stay there without doing anything about it. That's what their whole like release system is about. If you release one card a week, it's like, well, obviously you can't get all of them, right? They want to make you choose. And I think that 1000 is about as high as they can go without running into that issue, right? And so whether or not you like this change or don't like this change depends on how much you A, understand, or B, respect that that is like their stated design goal, right? Because there's like two ways to say this change sucks. One is if you don't understand that that is why they're doing what they're doing. And the other is if you think, if you do understand it, but you just think it's stupid. And so like we've talked a lot about the unique collections thing here, right? Like (laughs) there's a lot of ways for people to just be like, I totally understand what they're going for. They shouldn't be going for it. It's very, very stupid, right? It's like when people talk about like, why can't it just be not a card that you own? Well, the reason they don't want it to be not a card that you own is so that people who have all the cards can't just open three caches and get the new card and get everything, right? That is all what there is there, right? Like the whole system is built around maintaining everyone has something to go for it is about maintaining that so everyone is looking for something and if you think that is like a dumb goal i totally get it Mm -hmm. (laughs) i totally totally understand but if you are one of the people who is just like asking for more stuff to ask for more stuff uh i also get it you should always do that like 100 percent. i'm with you uh ask for more free shit every single time soak them but like (laughs) outside of that I think uh, I think I think that a thousand is about the right number for them to end up on. Yeah, it's a quite a legacy conversation, actually, on this pod. We haven't talked about it for a while, but Alex, I want to ask you the question. So it's sort of an original ethos of Second Dinner that there is merit to the unique collection, that it adds value to players. It is a cool thing to have. And my pushback and I'll take responsibility for this pushback is that card gamers don't want that. Card gamers don't yep. want to lose to cards they don't have um, at all. And, th- and most card gamers, whether they are spikes, casuals, whatever, they want to have all the cards. They want to be series complete. No, I don't think there are people that see people with collections and using cards to beat them that they don't have. And they said, this is a merit. This is a merit to the game. This is a good thing about the game. And I'm not saying that the current cards acquisition system is bad. And I'm not saying that Marvel Snap is a bad game as a free-to-play player. But that specific take, right? Like that as as sort of the advertisement they give us to us, I think it's the wrong direction. And I think it's so far in the wrong direction that it it's it's almost disingenuous. Where it's like, I don't believe that. Because I know Ben, ben Brody came from Hearthstone, right? And then he's a card gamer. I don't think that any card gamer wants to not have all the cards. They want to have the game pieces and they want to be able to play in the same level. And I think that applies to casuals all the way across. What do you think about unique collections? You just asked one of the most complex questions imaginable with regards to Marvel (laughs) Snap. So I'm going to try to like frame my thoughts here. Um, The first thing I'll say is that, uh, you know, I I have confidence in the system because I'd like to believe that, that Ben Brode would have come from Hearthstone having learned lessons from that game. And if you're going to start your own studio and you're going to make your own game, you're not just going to like do the same thing you did before and fall into the same traps you made before. And the one argument I would make against the whole collection first thing was that like 
like for instance, like you no know, DC is going to be doing this. Like we, you basically launch a product, it's up front, and then people just buy the cards out. They buy the cards out day one. Like I see other content creators saying, yeah, I'm just going to buy the cards out day one. I'm going to have a full collection. But then what? And then what is like kind of the question, right? Yeah. For us, we have these weekly releases. Mm-hmm. It's it's like these these like kind of like pin drop type metas that shake things up a little bit here and there. Um, there's constant anticipation of what's coming out. I think that's valuable. Um, what I will say though, is that like in our collection levels, like if I'm going against KM in a tournament, like I'm just assuming he has every card, mm-hmm. every relevant card. I actually card. Like, don't. I know, <laughs> actually, I'm missing cards too. But yeah. what I mean is though, it's like, you're going to have every card that really matters though, right? Like you're, you're not, you're not missing Thanos, right? Like no. you're going to have the cards you need, right? Um, so from that standpoint, I think the really competitive players are going to get close enough, especially if they intelligently use the systems they're provided to get there. One thing I will say though, is I absolutely loved, loved my beta experience, opening up caches, getting brand new series two, series three cards saying like, oh, I just pulled Magneto. How can I put this into my new decks? How can I deck craft around what I actually have? Forget about what the meta is. Forget about what the top tier deck is, right? And I know I'm talking like super competitive gamers here. So I know this is falling. This is like a very kind of hot take, but the idea of being able to deck craft around your collection was extremely rewarding for me. In fact, I don't think I would be as good at deck crafting today if I didn't have that experience because I'm able to make better decks now because I've been practicing deck crafting in this game since beta, because anytime I got a new card, I made my own list with it. I experimented with it. And then that was extremely rewarding. That's something that I really liked about Marvel snap. And so if you're constantly just trying to be collection complete and just run meta to meta to meta, then you're not going to have that deck building experience. And I think that people will deny themselves that rewarding experience of deck building and winning an infinity ticket with a deck that you wholly crafted, that your opponent was like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. I've never seen this before. That is a very powerful feeling that I think some people miss out on. And I, I, I really do think that this collection system for the most part works in making it so like you want the best deck, you can't have it. But guess what? The person you're against probably doesn't have the best deck either until we get into the because they do collection level matching to mm-hmm. some degree. So like, yeah, I think there's merit. Like, I don't know. I feel like when you do collection level matching, like the, the people I'm really worried about, I, I the people I think this is actually like kind of decent for. Yeah. And like also the Killmonger the argument, right? Yes. It's, the it's Killmonger. the, you remember how Killmonger was like in series three early in the game and everyone was playing like Nova carnage, dino mirrors and whoever opened Killmonger just had like an utterly dominant mirror advantage. And I, I, I do have like this worry for like someone who maybe like they're they're coming out of collection level 500. They don't optimize their caches properly. They open a new card instead of saving for like Evo or Thanos or whatever. And then they run into all the people that are playing those cards. And it's just like, oh, my God, I have no way out of this. And I think that is always like like on some level, the people that pay attention and use their resources more intelligently are going to always be rewarded. That's how life works. But I do I do wonder about that, where it's like, you know, two people can have such a vastly different experience, not just on that, but also on like, all right, let's say Thanos is in the caches. One person rolls him one in the first one. The other one rolls him in the fourth. And that means that the next time the, the, the first player who rolled him in the first cache is going to be able to go get iron lad two or whatever, you know, like it compounds a little bit. And, uh, it does make me a, not necessarily question CL matchmaking, but sort of make maybe wonder if they need to loosen it up a little. Mm. 
I do want to say one thing though, because Alex, I very much agree with you in the like the the card system in Marvel Snap where they sort of precipitate cards to us week by week is the best system I've ever engaged with. And it is in fact, the most engaging card game I've ever played because of that, because the meta, and it doesn't happen every week, but it has a chance to shake up every single week and you layer OTAs on top of that, patches on top of that. It's infinitely better than the other, than legacy card game systems where you have an expansion or a new set every three months, every six months. Like I play paper card games and it's every six months sometimes. That yeah. sucks. I mean, it, feel, it feels archaic at this point. Like Marvel Snap has found the system where they can actually drip us single cards because of the way the game is designed and structured and 12 card decks and the impact of an individual card that it feels like every single week there's something there's there can be something new even if it's echo that comes out and not maybe mirage if it ends up being good it doesn't matter like you have that new deck building um sort of experience i, I definitely want to agree with you there that i think that that is it's actually revolutionary like i think that they they sort of hit that that one they hit the nail on the head with that one yeah and it's it's again there's merit to both sides of the argument Right. Um, I think that not having complete collections or easily complete collections can perhaps bring into question like like there's going to be people who can't play competitively because their collections can't do it. Right. And that sucks. Like there's going to be a gate, this gate of like, oh, you don't have like the cards you need to be competitive. I mean, Cam, it was last week you're talking about a competitive player that didn't have Jeff in a deck that would have just literally been better if Jeff was in the deck. Right. He lost and like because exactly. he didn't have Jeff. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that's not necessarily a good thing either. That is a highly talented player that be, uh, the, the system worked against them there. And there's no yes. question about it. Right. So that's, that's a negative drawback. Um, but like, again, that's not the typical experience for the average person. No. And, um, I just, I just remember playing Hearthstone and for months, just seeing face Hunter after face Hunter yeah. after face Hunter, literally months and months of it. And then um, just nothing happening and just hoping something was going to happen and just nothing happening. <laughs> and at least here we have OTAs, we have patches. We, yeah, you, you, Brandon, you hit it 100%. We are spoiled, spoiled with the amount of, uh, first of all, community interaction. Uh, we get like Discord Q&As from the development team nonstop. Uh, like they're constantly answering questions from the community. Uh, they're like, even the, the spotlight cast system, this is a brand new system. They responded to very quickly. I think that this game is, uh, is being well managed, but of course there's still sore spots. Let's give them a chance to fix it. Mm. Alex, do you think that Marvel Snap created a new genre of card games? Short games, small decks, very visual and easy to understand card design and gameplay. You add on top of that the snapping system. Is this the future of card games? Like, are we getting to a place where gone are the days of where you need to sit through a 30 to 45 minute game where, you know, maybe 50% of that time you were literally doing nothing because you were watching your opponent play and you were doing nothing. So this is asymmetric turns, right? We play symmetric turns in Marvel Snap. But even outside of that, let's go back to like Magic the Gathering. There's not a lot of merit to land go. You know, that's just like an opening play of Magic. But Marvel Snap, it feels like the every every sort of play you make is so it's impactful to the game, right? And they're short enough to where it feels compressed. Like, do you think that they've created a new genre of card games? And do you believe that this is the future? To some extent, yes. I mean, the, I think the most critical thing is the asymmetric turns. Uh, you solve the the go first problem, right? Like mm -hmm. the coin flip of Hearthstone and other games, right? The uh, the advantage of going first in pretty much every single card game in existence. They solve that. Uh, they solve the waiting problem where you're sitting there watching your opponent rope again and again, which, I mean, people still rope, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, at least your turn is locked in. Um, but uh, like, I think they have really innovated on the genre a lot. And if you really think critically in the past, like, 
I don't want to say that all like card games had a, a format and they felt like they were, they were always reiterating. There was always improvements and stuff like that. New design, new interesting concepts, but I feel like Marvel snap really took things to a new level and perhaps coming out mobile first was an advantage. We just don't have a PC version yet. Like let's not forget that, right? This is still a mobile first launch. And so like, yeah, I think they did perhaps make a bit of a new genre here. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're harnessing a very powerful IP, but the mm. gameplay, the gameplay absolutely knocks it out of the park. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's what drew us in. That's what, that's what caught me. That's what got me off guard. I loved playing the game and no, every, people are going to complain about the monetization. People complain about the collection system. No one complains about the gameplay. There's no one out there complaining about Marvel snap being a bad game to play. So I like, mean, since yeah. they nerfed Galactus. Yes, with some minor <laughs> exceptions, with some minor meta exceptions, ain't nobody complaining about playing Marvel Snap. <laughs> this is actually why, that is actually what I thought the biggest argument against Galactus was and always has been, is that the actual game of Marvel Snap is very good. People would compare High Evolutionary, but it's like, no, it's not the same, because High Evolutionary, you're still playing Marvel Snap. When you play against Galactus, you're playing Marvel Galactus, right? It's just a completely different game. And I think, I think that really hits on it, right? Because it's like some cards are strong without being design or like fundamental feel issues, right? They're, they feel bad because you lose to them because they're really good and should be tuned down, but they're not fundamental problems in the way that Galactus mm. is. It just prevents you from playing. It's interesting because they're not allergic to that design because I still think that Spider-Man is a pretty bad, feels bad card, but it's left in the game and I feel like it's at, it's healthy enough. I think people, there's it's something close. about, yeah, Galactus was, it was just really over the top with the animation and how long it would take and it blew up all the other lanes. And yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely Spider-Man on steroids, but they still have cards like Spider-Man in the game, which are very one-sided fun cards. Like it's not That's different though. It's not one-sided fun. It's like you can build your deck in such a way, because it's a game with three locations on it, you are rewarded for respecting multiple locations, right? You are rewarded for building a deck that can play onto three locations and threaten those things, right? When you play against Galactus, the fundamental thing that you are rewarded for is inverted, right? Your basic gameplay of Marvel Snap is you are supposed to play for winning multiple locations. When you play against Galactus, there are decks, again, that are built correctly to play for multiple locations that just die. And that sucks. It completely inverts the reward structure of deck building. And that's why it's bad. Spider-Man, okay, you know, it sucks to get Spider-Man, but it mostly sucks to get Spider-Man because you lose to it. Yeah? And even then, there's like, okay, Jeff and Doctor Doom and whatever it is that you have, like most decks have some way of dealing with that. Whereas with Galactus, it completely inverted your deck building thought process. And that meant that there were so many non games based entirely on deck building. And no one likes that. Do you think that Galactus and the issue thereof is a consistency and variance equation, right? Like if consistency and invariant, variance exceeds X, you know, X point, Galactus is a problem, but when it's below X point, it's okay, right? When it's harder to pull off. Yes, but not because of that. Because of if it's good enough for people, it can't ever be good enough for a lot of people to play. That's basically the pitch, right? Like, that card cannot ever be good enough to be like a tier two deck 
It cannot. It will be absolutely. That's what it was, right? It was like a tier two deck, right? Like it cannot ever be that. It has to be fringe or the game starts sucking. I'm not sure the Galactus play. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, on the note of Galactus, Alex, what is the biggest limiting factor to Marvel Snap's growth right now? Um, the biggest limiting factor to Marvel Snap's growth. That's an incredible question. Uh, I think the the lack of the PC port is huge. The PC client, client sucks. Um, they haven't been advertising uh, since the mobile launch. They've won multiple awards, honestly. I, and uh, I'll be honest with you, there's lots of new players coming to Marvel Snap every day. I see it in my metrics. I know that other people uh, relay the same information. The, the game is in a pretty healthy state. It's just a matter of, I think that this PC launch is going to reinvigor uh, the interest in the game. And that's probably why you're seeing these sweeping changes to the collection system, other systems. And uh, they're setting up, like even the way their OTAs are being set up, like they're clearly putting systems in place so they can nail the PC launch and then maintain the game in a way that they want to maintain it moving forward. Um, what's limiting the growth of the game ultimately, I think, is... Um, is, is honestly just getting the collection system down packed, making it rewarding to go through the collection system. I hate to say it. Like I, I, I speak to a lot of casual people. They, they don't like the monetization. The monetization is very, um, I don't know how to say it. it there's, there's, it's people are so split on it. They're so it's split generous on Generous without feeling generous. <laughs> I like, no, I disagree though. Like, I don't think like, it feels good. I think it feels, no, it feels bad. Awful. And I yeah. think it is good, but I don't think it feels good. And like, that's a consistent thing they've done is because they've locked themselves into like, hey, look at all these cards you get for free at the beginning. You get those cards for free, right? In another game, you'd be paying for those cards, right? But like, basically what it does, is it sort of it goes like this, right? You start here where like, oh, I'm getting all this stuff for free. So like my collection is going up drastically without having to spend any money, right? Uh, exponential curve i'm going up and up and up and then it starts leveling out and you're like okay this kind of sucks it's getting worse and worse and then like here it's just awful like once you once you get to like the point at which like you need to be using resources to acquire cards efficiently it's just like you you forget about all the stuff you got for free because right now you can't get it for free they, they, it's like it's like they wean you off of getting stuff for free and you are suddenly in a position where you're losing if you can't compete the one major concern to answer your question a little more directly though, like in terms of future growth, something that I'm concerned about and I don't have an answer for, and I hope second dinner does is what do you do with people who have lapsed accounts or people that oh are just God. starting the game? Like, what do you do with people that have now like 10,000, 12,000 collection level to try and catch up with? Like, you can't just say, Hey, do you, do you have a credit card? Like that, that can't be the answer. Yeah. The, the, do you have a credit card? Cannot be the answer to, 10 to 15,000 worth of collection level to play this game competitively or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That that's what keeps me up at night trying to figure out like, okay, someone says, Oh, I played, uh, you know, during, you know, November, December during the launch window. It sounds like things are a lot better. Now I have 500 collection level. Let's see what happens. And they get absolutely crushed in conquest. So like, what's, what's the answer there? I think that's so a problem. It's the pro bundles not doing it for you. <laughs> it's I a, bought the pro bundle and I still suck buddy. So I, I don't know. <laughs> it feels like false advertising. It's, it's interesting you bring that up because it's probably a rework, right? Cause it, let's say we, let's say we follow this system over X time, right? Six months, uh, a year, another year, right? A, a new player joins like under the current system, like they're not catching up, right? Like, how do, how does that work? I mean, without the series dropping and things like that. I mean, if the answer even what the thing about Marvel Snap is like, if, if you even have the credit card, let's say you're willing to bring the credit card in, the most powerful card in card games, it's 
it's not a reasonable amount of money. Like in Hearthstone, if I wanted to come in and play standard sometimes, I mean, maybe this is back in the day, you know, it'd be a couple hundred bucks. In Marvel Snap, if I want to come in and I want to be competitive within a month, first of all, it's time gated. You can't even do it. It's going to cost you like two, two grand. Like <laughs> It's a lot of money. Like the, it's a lot of money. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, you bring up a, a really, a really interesting point with like the scalability of the system with new players entering the game in about, you know, even now, but in six months, a year's time. Like, how does that work? How do they get up to the point where, where everybody else is and be able to play things like Conquest? Because Conquest right now is a is a game mode that doesn't isn't based on collection level and isn't based on MMR for everything that we know, right? I think there's some minor, I think they said there's some minor collection level MMR gating in like Proving Ground, Silver and Gold. Mm-hmm. And it dry, it changes, it gets lower and lower as you move up and in, uh, Infinity's nothing. It's just you get matched. I believe that's what they had stated. It gets, yeah. yeah. Like in silver, I have noticed more people that I recognize in gold. I don't think I've played a single one. Mm. Interesting. Alex, you, you answered this a little bit earlier in the pond, but I just want to, I just want to ask you directly. Um, it's, do you still find joy in Marvel snap and what part of the game loop specifically makes it fun after so many hours of play? Yeah, I love the game. I love playing it. I like when I, do you know that feeling when like when you go to a, like a, like a, like amusement park and you've been on roller coasters all day and you lay in bed and you still feel like you're on a roller coaster. That's like me with Marvel snap. I can play the game for like eight hours. I can stream it like till I'm basically falling asleep edit, go, whatever, go to bed, lay in bed. And I feel like I'm still playing Marvel snap and I smile because of it. Like I actually love this game. I don't know how to explain it other than I thoroughly enjoy playing it. The thing that really keeps me going is the deck crafting. I love the fact that every single week, I get to uh, just play with a new card, a new tool, try to see how it fits in existing archetypes, how I can maybe redefine old archetypes, how uh, perhaps it might change everything altogether. Even if the card, like for instance, I I can't wait for Legion. I I might be the only one that thinks Legion might actually be good. Uh, We're hyped for Legion too. No, no, I'm ironically a little bit of a Legion truther. Like not Thank because you. of I not because I think it's going to be like good proactively, it's good, good stats. But like it turns off storm. Yeah, your yeah. opponent's yeah. like, oh, yeah. I'm going to storm you. You're like, no, you're not. You're yeah. not storming me. That storm lane is actually going to become whatever thing I want it to be. Decent stats too. I, I mean, you can't really go. Yeah, take like out if too there's wrong. a deck that actually, if there's a deck that wants that, right? If there's a deck that is like the only thing I lose to is these damn storm decks. That's a use case for Legion. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, ultimately for me it's it's the deck crafting. What, I think that deck crafting continuously keeps me motivated. What what uh what what aspect of the game do you engage with the most? Do you mostly play ladder or do you are you in conquest? I gotta be honest with you. Ever since Conquest released, I get to infinite as fast as I can. I couldn't care mm-hmm. less about ladder anymore. Yeah. Like I just want to play conquest. Um and uh that it's just where I like to play. I like the uh I like the higher stakes. I like the idea that um, you know, you're you kind of have this grudge match, kind of like playoff mm-hmm. hockey feel of like, you know, it's like uh, you're playing multiple times against the same deck. I do think that uh, deck crafting becomes extremely uh, different in Conquest mm-hmm. because you have to consider we're going to be playing this this guy over and over again. We have to have a plan. Like, I think that the, the way you approach ladder is totally different than the way you pu- approach Conquest. For me, it's Conquest all day long. I can't wait to get to Infinite, get see that 100, get my rewards, my card back, whatever, and just go right to Conquest. That's just, but that's just me. I'm surprised you think it's different ladder and conquest i feel like for the most part the same decks succeed pretty consistently in both like i i haven't really found a situation where i'm like oh this deck is so much better in conquest than in ladder like the closest thing you would say is like thanos maybe thanos is some like advantages in conquest like thanos decks decks that run loot cage 
I think Patriot tend to is be better in Conquest. Really? I mean, I think I think Patriots just good everywhere. Like, I think it's I, I do think it's good I everywhere. I do think it's good everywhere. everywhere but I do think like, it's good I, everywhere. Like, but you know, not losing to the tech card on turn six or something like that as Patriot, like these these ongoing synergistic decks. I do think they're better. You don't Conquest. lose to that anyway, man. You, you have can. Invisible Woman now. Oh, you don't yeah, lose to that anyway. Invisible Woman. I haven't yeah. lost to an Enchantress in like two months. <laughs> That's not even a real card. Even See, if I would argue real, that. Even if so it is real, ahead, we're the only deck who's prepared. But if it is real, we're the only deck who's prepared. Like every other ongoing deck, they always lose to Enchantress. We don't if you're Patriot, right? Like Invisible Woman's so good. God, I yeah. love her. Shout out to Sue Storm. Continue, Alex. I was going to say that I, I would make the argument that I feel like ladder and uh, conquest are completely different. Um, I feel like decks that are, yeah, I feel like decks, the ones that you're talking about, the decks that are like been the real high flyers, they're the ones that have this inherent like uh, consistency that makes them powerful. Like if you think about what bounce did bounce gave initiative, gave you so much control over the board state. And that was a very consistent, it, it dodged Shang-Chi, it dodged Killmonger for the most part until we started taking in the invisible one and stuff. But then now they're playing multiple cards in their deck just to counter the one deck, right? And you had all this control over the board state, right? Um, even uh, Evo is the same way, right? Uh, you know, you, you have this like control over the board state, you storm, you Cyclops, which of course we're going to be able to have an answer with, with Legion, but like it had this consistent play pattern, right? I also think it rewards some high rolly decks decks that if you catch your opponent off guard or by surprise like if you're playing some gambit deletion crap and then people are not prepared for that like that gives you an advantage so like i do think that the idea of like these one and done ladder games are like if you just low roll into a matchup then you just leave right but with conquest you don't have that privilege you got to figure out a way to like completely counteract what your opponent's doing or they have to figure out how to counteract you i think you guys are in it for the long haul for the most part provided you're not just you know eight turn snapping turn one or whatever eight cube snapping but i i just i it does feel very different for me and i do think that the decks do perform differently it's just we just had a meta where the best decks in ladder were also the best decks in conquest because they were just so damn consistent and that's what kept them on their perch mm. I just I just don't think that's ever not going to be true, right? Where like if if fundamentally your goal of queuing up for ladders, I would like to climb efficiently, then you're going to want to play a deck that is good and consistent because you don't want to spend your time uh, getting on the bad end of variance. You want to be like doing good stuff. Yeah. And I, I just sort of that's always how I've approached ladder anyway right i was never someone who was just like oh i'll leave for one it's fine i always hated those decks <laughs> and so like i think those decks are actually more viable in conquest like you look at something like a mr negative they're more viable in conquest because people aren't going to punish you very hard when you aren't drawing your stuff and you can eventually juice them for a ton of cubes people aren't good enough at that yet i actually think that like i i don't think they're yeah I, i'll reiterate i think they're the exact same the exact same decks are good in Conquest and Ladder, consistently. Do you think you play the modes that that differently? Do you think that uh, individual game strategy changes from mode to mode? Yes. Individual game strategy is focused a little bit more around uh, reasonably understanding what you can and can't play around. Like, you have more knowledge in Conquest. You are more able to, by the time you know your opponent's entire deck, plan your strategy out better, right? Mm. On Ladder, you do a lot of guesswork there. But honestly, that same guesswork skill is going to serve you well in Conquest in terms of being like, all right, well, I've seen this, this, and this. I can reasonably expect, you know, the rest of his cards to be 
these nine cards with some amount of variation between them, right? And you can say, like, let's say you, you see a Zabu and a Korg, you can reasonably be like, all right, I'm expecting Darkhawk, Iron Lad, Rock Slide. I'm expecting one of or both of Shang-Chi or Enchantress. I'm expecting maybe a Killmonger, maybe a Polaris, maybe something else in that three slot. I'm expecting probably a Jeff. I'm expecting the real question then becomes like, all right, so what's their top end, right? Are they doing I'm trying to Iron Lad into Leader and Doctor Doom? Are they playing Arrow and Iron Man? Are they playing Sarah, right? Like they're like, but like for the most part, that skill is going to serve you well, regardless of where you're playing, right? Like that's just how you're going to have to approach everything, I think. True, but I, I'm going to make an argument for the way Conquest is played, generally speaking. I think that snapping is significantly more important. Like, for instance, we were talking about the negative surfer deck before, right? So that's kind of like kind of hot meta right now. And uh, I was playing it last night on stream, and I couldn't make a video today because all my games were horrible, even though I won multiple uh, Conquest runs. Because people, like, the way I was snapping was completely dismantling my opponent. Like, if I'm, if I'm playing a negative deck, right, and you know I'm playing a negative deck, if I'm snapping on turn two, you know I'm going to Psylock into negative yeah. turn three. And if you don't have an answer to that, you need to walk away. And they would go into the game and they just get crushed. And I would win with this battle of attrition. When I play against someone in Conquest and I see them that they're playing a Thanos deck and they don't snap and I see Mindstone come down, I kind of just giggle to myself because I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, I think that snapping and the snap cadence of very specific decks matters so much in Conquest. And I think that skill disparity gets wider in Conquest. I think you get punished faster in Conquest because if, if you don't like know the snap cadence of the deck you're playing, then suddenly you're going to fall off fast against someone just by pure attrition. Because if I don't draw a negative and you snap, I just leave. You take your cube. But then if, you, if I'm going to snap on turn two or three, drop that negative down, there is no way you win that game. So like... Mm. I, I don't know. I, I did win. I, I, beat, totally I beat a game. I, I I beat a negative deck when they had negative on turn one today. They had what? a. Uh, they had the the what was it the 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 project Pegasus and they played a turn one negative and I won the game. <laughs> yeah. So I like it's not impossible. You just have to like <laughs> really have really clear eyes about like what you're actually getting into when you go go in for uh, against a Mister Negative deck with a lot of cubes on the line. But I I think that like those same things in the aggregate are going to be true of ladder, right? So what you're talking about is like an individual game. Yes, you're right about an individual battle mode compared to an individual game of ladder. But what about a bunch like two weeks worth of conquest games versus two weeks worth of ladder games? I think once you zoom out far enough there, you end up seeing like a lot of the same trends, a lot of the same decks, a lot of the same things are going to be good in the aggregate because while these little micro scenarios might happen that you're still like, you know, you're not snapping mindstones or whatever, which, by the way, I'm not sure you have to do that anymore. Like, obviously, it's good, but like you can if you don't think your opponent is going to leave, feel free to see another location. It's fine because like people aren't leaving when you snap a mindstone, right? Like you actually get like a little bit more like leeway there now, I think, because like it's not like they're going to leave, right? It's not like old Thanos where they're going to leave if you're, it's like turn two and you play mindstone. It's fine, right? But like. It's uh, it's it's definitely one of those things where I think because you look at it as one game each time, like obviously on a, if you compare a battle mode to a ladder game, it's going to be very different. But in the aggregate, I strongly suspect that the best decks in Conquest end up being the best decks in ladder because that's what being good is like. 
if you're not snapping in your advantageous timing on ladder, then you're going to lose more cubes than you win anyway, right? Like it, it's going to feel worse in conquest because you're going to get juiced out of some games. But on average, I would expect ladder win rate and conquest win rate to correlate pretty heavily. If I was to win, I would say I agree with you on snap strategy, uh, Alex, but I do agree with I do agree with KM that I think that the best decks are the best decks in Marvel Snap for the most part. Like maybe you can play some um higher variant like maybe you get more range out of playing a higher variance deck on ladder that surprises the opponent with an unexpected card on turn six. But you know, I would argue that that deck is still fundamentally bad because it relies on doing that specific thing, right? And it's not just one of these overall well-rounded strong decks in Marvel Snap, which are the best decks in the metagame, which perform on ladder and conquest. Um, but speaking to your the what you talked about with the skill disparity and snapping and knowing when to snap with these decks, it is it is one of the most important things in Marvel Snap. And I think when you when you get into those infinite conquests or when you do finally go up against a player like like a Lambie series or something like that, like it honestly, those games it feels like you are in deep water and you are drowning like it is it is incredible how much pressure players like that will put on you through snapping it's just a whole different dynamic of the game that adds this massive sort of um learning curve to it so yeah i actually have a point on that and you're absolutely right in fact so kim with uh, yourself and binks you guys had done that uh, that that tournament yeah. where I actually was i face off against lambie and um, I mean, let's talk about skill disparity, right? <laughs> so yeah, so I'm against Lambie. And one thing I noticed, and it made me a better player, and I learned from this experience, he was snapping so aggressively that it, I felt like I was always on the defensive. Yeah. And it sounds crazy in Marvel Snap to say like, I feel like I'm on the defensive here because he's snapping on turn two, on turn one or whatever it is, and setting the stakes on, on, on his own terms. And Anytime I'm going to snap, I'm, where are we going to eat? Like, that's, that's the question. Are we going to eat here? And I re it really put in perspective how powerful, how powerful snapping was in Conquest. Because when Lambie was doing that, it really applied pressure on me. And the mental game changed as well. And so it really put in perspective how good and how important snapping is in Conquest. And if you're playing competitively, it's by far the most important skill, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm glad that it's getting some, uh, some credit here because... I think it will make the difference in people's uh, runs through gold and infinite. Because if, if your snapping cadence isn't down, then I, I feel like you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. I think that what the real thing that that shows you is the delta between when you should be snapping and when you feel confident snapping is, right? When you should be snapping is literally anytime you're favored. Yep. Like that is when anytime. you should be snapping. You should be snapping literally anytime with your favorite. But people don't do that because they're risk averse, right? And so that's why they feel like they're under such pressure with Lambie, because like they see the snap and they're like, oh my God, he must have the nuts. And it's like, no, he probably doesn't have the nuts. He just thinks he's probably favored, right? 55% right. is not the same as 70, right? But people see a snap and they're like, oh my God, they think they're 70% to win. But it's like, no, 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 no. Like they, 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 they probably have something, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be that. There are still things that have to happen in the game. We're still, you know, pre-flop, pre-river, yeah. to use a poker analogy here, right? Like it doesn't mean you're always supposed to like always respect. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, they raised. All right, that, that doesn't mean that they're going to win. It's so funny that we, it's, it really is a mental game, but it's, I think it's almost like a fallacy of a mental game because it really is so quantitative. Because when, we, when we've talked to Lambie quite a few times on this podcast, but 
when we talk about snapping and with those decks and we talk about when you get to the 55%, it's, it's not, it's not a choice to snap. You must snap. Your deck must snap here. And there is nuance in conquest. It's like, what stage are we at? How many cubes am I down? If I go down two cubes from here, like how many games are left, you know, with my opponent, will they get me out in three versus they get me out in four if I leave now? There's nuance. But when you look at like the core fundamental strategy of a deck and when it snaps, like it's actually not, there's not a lot, there's not too much feel to it. It's just your deck snaps when it has this because your deck is now favored. And if your deck doesn't snap this hand, it doesn't snap any hand. Cam, like you're you... playing against Thanos and they snap on turn three. You know they're playing a Time Stone or a Psylocke into a Professor X. You know that. That's the only reason they do it. And so like if you have if they have a bunch of stones and you have a Killmonger and you can make that Professor X a 50-50, then yeah. Or God forbid, maybe you can make that Professor X a zero percenter for them, right? They think they're favored, but you can know why they think that. And like I, I do a lot of like uh, playing Time Stone and snapping under Professor X kind of stuff. I do it. I do a ton of those. And if you knew that's what I was doing, you know, you'd probably have a pretty good win rate against me. I think. Yeah, the the bluffing the bluffing the mental game really comes into when players will. Uh, optionally make suboptimal plays in order to try to force the opponent out of a specific game or, you know, bluff snap them or something like that, or get themselves out of a bad position, which I think on the Delta is the incorrect decision, but Marvel Snap, it just is one of these mental games and it can actually work out in your favor. Uh, so it's such a funny dynamic and it's, it's a skill that I think that is starting to develop um, and is progressively developing, but, you know, look at six months, look at a year down the line. I think that the, the snapping and just general play style of players will be completely different than it is now it'll feel it'll be a whole different world awesome all right i have one more question for you here alex which is i just want to ask if you have any takeaways and learnings from co-hosting what if marvel snaps biggest podcast or i think it actually is marvel snaps biggest podcast what has that journey be. been like what was that it must be yeah i think i think it i think it hands down is to be honest yeah. i just don't have um, i just don't have the numbers <laughs> Yeah, the the primary takeaway is that uh, it's it it comes down to like amazing support and response from the community. Um, also, like being prepared. Like for instance, like you have an extensive amount of notes here. Like it's it's incredible how well prepared you are for this podcast. Uh, you know, and Cozy and I are the same. We we go into it, uh, you know, ready to talk. We have our points. We we know what we're going to be discussing, and I think that that's a, a key element of success in, in podcasting uh, that preparedness. Um, but ultimately, it's it's exactly what we just did here. Like just you know, three guys having a great conversation about a game we all love. And I think that comes across uh, to the viewership. I think that you guys are doing a great job with like the competitive side of things. I listen to your podcast and I can become a better player. And, uh, and I think that that is a, an amazing thing. So um, I, I just want to actually say that, like, I'm actually a huge fan of your podcast. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. <laughs> That's, those are, that's, that's very nice of you. And we, we appreciate that. How do you feel as a content creator? I mean, Cam is of course as well, but as both a YouTuber and a podcaster, do you feel like they reach your audiences in the same way? Or do you feel like they have, you sort of have a different relationship with your podcast audience or your YouTube audience? I'm wondering if mostly if your podcast audience, if you feel like you sort of, um, cultivate a closer relationship with them because you build in this sort of routine based, uh, format, right? Where the listening to you every single week and i don't know i've just i've noticed it in some of my other podcasts and with the snapchat being so big i'm wondering you know if you've noticed if it's primarily between youtube uh your youtube audience and maybe your podcast audience obviously there's going to be overlap as well 
Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap. Uh, something that's kind of funny is like we, the way we do it is a little different. We actually release one podcast on two channels, mm -hmm. which is kind of a little unique. Um, and what we've noticed is that there are people that are there for the YouTube content that aren't actually interested in listening to a podcast. So they, so the, um, you know, so they'll go to like, they'll listen to it on Spotify or whatever, but they won't watch it on YouTube. Or, so there is a little bit of divergence there where there, there'll be people who are like, ah, you know what? They just released the podcast, but, uh, you know, I like Alex's deck guides and stuff, but I don't got an hour. Like, what what are we doing here? Right. So they, they just don't watch it. Right. And they, they might just listen to it on their commutes and stuff. So, um, but generally speaking, I think there's a ton of overlap and, uh, it's generally well received on <laughs> what surprises me is that I often get people commenting on the, you know, the YouTube video who also will say that they listen to the audio one as well. So that's like, they, they double dip as well, which is kind of cool, but, but ultimately, uh, there, there is a lot of kind of, um, you know, there's, they're pretty synergistic for the most part. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cam, any other questions from you before we sort of close it out? Yeah, Alex, are you like dead? I'm like close. You said you were tired <laughs> and then we did two hours and now I'm kind of wondering like, how's, how's, how's the old ticker holding up? You, you good? It, it's holding up. It's holding up. Uh, I, okay. my, my, my eyes are getting, you know what it is? These lights. Like if I turn <laughs> off my lights, you can tell how bright these lights actually are. Mm -hmm. um, they, they wear me down over these extended po uh, podcast no, sessions, I, I, but uh, yeah. I saw what time it was and I was like, oh my God, yeah. I feel so bad. I, I'm Why? sorry. We, we, we actually did to him. We always, this is way more. Oh my there. God, you are not kidding. <laughs> yeah. For people, yeah, these lights are bright for people listening. Alex lights. turned off the lights and, um, there was quite, quite a difference. Yeah. I'm sorry. We, we actually, we usually plan to go an hour to under an hour on these kind of podcasts it's and they, never they almost always go two hours. And with it's our regular podcasts, we're like, ever. okay, we'll, we'll bang out 30 minutes and it's like an hour and a half. I don't know why. It's never happened. <laughs> It just happens. Anyway, Alex, we are big fans of yours. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think you're a tremendous ambassador for the game, for Marvel yes. Snap, a great content creator, very well-spoken, very articulate. It was uh, it was a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. So I just want to give you our thanks and our appreciation for you coming on the podcast and joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's honestly, I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work as well. So thank you so much. Awesome. And for all of you listening, if you listen to the podcast and you are a fan, the number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review. And to do that, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot. And for those of you listening, there's a video version of this podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that like and subscribe while you're there. Twitter is at BrendanAPG for me, at Alexander. Oof, I, I oh, forgot. We, we went talked over about it. this. We went over it. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Shoot, shoot it. Uh, what do we got? Oh man, poor guy. He's being close. <laughs> Do not tell him. It, it's, Do not it's, tell him. It's, it was a bit unintuitive. Um, I, I don't even want to try. Cam, bail Do me it. out, please. No, 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 no. Was it like yeah, co on, Kocha? Kocha. I'm not bailing him. Is it Kocha? He got it. He got it. Oh, okay, he got go. it. So got at it. Alexander Kocha, which is spelled C-O-C-C-I-A. Uh, Cam Best at Cam Best MS, and Cam, your Twitch schedule, sir. I was actually so disappointed that you got it, man. Yeah, I dude, I had, to, I, did, I had to dig through the old <laughs> noggin and br brush off some cobwebs. I was, I was hoping for something bad. So All right. close. Um, yeah. uh, my Twitch schedule basically is uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Most days you'll turn it on and you'll see me there. It's gotten a little bit hectic with my cat issues recently. So it's been like a little bit. Uh, normally there's like defined days off and days on. That has not really happened, but it's still like basically five days a week. I will be streaming Marvel Snap. And of course, you can also find me on YouTube at KM Best in a snap. And Alex, your YouTube channel, your podcast. I mean, if you can just quickly do a yeah. little plug as well. 
Yeah, thank you. It's all just my legal name, Alexander Kocha. Everything on YouTube, on Twitch, on everything like that. Yeah, I was really creative with my name. What can I say? And uh, the the um, the Snapchat, of course, I do with uh, with Cozy Snap, and you can find that on both of our channels, both Cozy's and all mine's, every single Monday. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.